Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea, and welcome to Bring It On. We are an award-winning multiple show celebrating over 12 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And good evening, I'm Cornelius Wright. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest. All in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, with just 287 days remaining before the Monroe County primary elections, we are fortunate to have potential contenders for public office on our show this evening. While the deadline to officially declare and or file for candidacy is January 10th, 2018, Jeff Bradley has an interest in running for one of our county's judicial posts. Also, current Monroe County Clerk Nicole Brown desires to run again to retain her position. We want to thank them both for joining us this evening to further clarify and discuss their intentions. With that, Jeff and Nicole, welcome to Bring It On. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having us. And Nicole, I should say welcome back. You were here just a few months ago, right? I was. Are you happy to be back? I am thrilled to be back. Okay, well, that means you can go first, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you like. Okay, I'll start it off this way. Uh Actually, we, we're going to end up covering some of the same ground that we did last time you were here. But, you know, I guess in a different context this time as uh, Nicole Brown, the candidate. So give us a little background again. In fact, let me do better than that. A couple of months ago, uh, during the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus call out meeting, we had a panel of uh, the three elected African-American officials in, in Bloomington. And Nicole was one of them. So when Nicole introduced herself, she kind of gave a little bit of, uh, of her her uh, personal background, how she came up, and almost had the place in tears. In fact, there was one guy sitting there who wanted to marry her before it was all over with. I missed the proposal, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! He wow. was just he was just too moved. Oh my! But anyway, can you share that with us again? Absolutely. Um, and that night was an incredible night, and what a tribute to you for organizing such an event. Thank you. Um, what I said that night, I started out by saying, I'm really not supposed to be here. I kind of backed into the position that I'm in now. I was born and raised in Gary, Indiana. My homie. Raised by a single mom. And I honestly kept my goals close to home. I really just wanted to get my own apartment. Um, I wanted an education. I wanted a car. And I thought if I just saved my pennies, maybe someday I could go to Paris. And so I didn't know what my life, how my life would turn out, but I just knew it was important to me to get an education and to try to get a good job that would allow me to live independently. Um, and so what I said that night was, what are the odds if I told you my story of my being able to come here to Bloomington and get a degree from Indiana University? What are the odds that I would end up owning a home in Monroe County, Indiana? Uh, what are the odds that I would end up working for someone who was elected as the Monroe County clerk, who would then eventually ask me to serve as her chief deputy clerk? And then once she was 
ill and decided that she could not uh, finish out her term to recommend me to be caucused in as your Monroe County clerk. And so I know that I am here because God had a bigger plan for me than I had for myself. Um, it's been an incredible journey. I'm looking forward to continuing and very excited about the opportunities to come. So what you were basically saying is back in your hometown in Gary, Indiana, you started off with some, you know, some some limitations on where you thought you would go. Absolutely. So what, what broadened your horizons for you? Um, I was very lucky to have been exposed to some amazing people who opened doors for me that would never have been opened on my own. Um, I did not have any financial means whatsoever, but I had teachers who thought enough of me to connect me with people that allowed me, um, helped me as I was applying for the college process, uh, and they took an interest in what became of me and wanted to know um, how things turned out. So I, I just have been very, very fortunate, very, very blessed. I don't take any of that for granted. We're going to come back to that. We also have with us this evening Jeff Bradley, who is the Deputy Prosecuting Attorney for Monroe County. And uh, Jeff, welcome. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. The first thing, I'd like to know a little bit about your duties, responsibilities, um, your educational background, et cetera, and just a little bit about Jeff. Sure. Um, I've been a deputy prosecutor here since 2005. Going back, I was a student here at Indiana University. I went here from 1987 to 1994. So I got my undergraduate degree in political science and an interdepartmental major in Afro-American studies. And after I completed my undergraduate years, I went straight to, to law school. And after I graduated in 1994, I went to Ohio. I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, but I decided to branch out in the Midwest and ended up in Clinton County, Ohio, which is about an hour north of Cincinnati. And I was a, an assistant prosecuting attorney there for a little bit over seven years. And I worked as a juvenile prosecutor and I actually wore a lot of hats there. My primary work was as a juvenile prosecutor, but I did appellate work, did work in some of our uh, civil bankruptcy, uh, tax collection, uh, assistant child support, and, and did quite a bit at, at that office. Then I spent uh, two years with the University of Kentucky in their residence life department as the assistant director for student rights and responsibilities, which boils down to I dealt with student discipline cases and uh, supervised the judicial process within the residence halls. And then I came back to Bloomington in 2003 and became a licensed attorney in 2004 here in Monroe County and then became a deputy prosecuting attorney here in 2005. I was hired initially by Carl Salzman and then when Chris Gall ran for election and was, um, took over, he retained myself and other attorneys within the office. So I've been a deputy prosecutor uh, continuously here since 2005. Uh, currently I am a felony prosecuting attorney which means I am one of the four general assignment felony prosecutors here in the office. So any case that is a felony from a theft to a burglary all the way up to a murder, uh, I could be assigned to that case. And then I'm the lead attorney from once the case is a, uh, assigned to the court I'm in. I work for currently with uh, the Honorable uh, Mary Ellen Decoff. I initially started with Judge Kenneth Todd, and I've been with Judge Decoff for the last several years and then I handle all the cases, the felony cases that are assigned to that court. So a, a pretty much a wide variety of cases. So day to day, I handle the negotiations of the cases, uh, review the case files, follow up any discovery that's necessary, and if, and if we need to, uh, prepare the case for a trial. And then I would be the attorney on the criminal cases before a, a jury in Monroe County. 
So I do, I do a, that as well as I'm the backup juvenile prosecutor as well. I assist our uh, primary juvenile prosecuting attorney in handling juvenile cases when he's not available. And anything else probably has duties may be assigned within the office. Um, I think one of the other areas I've been working in the last, since uh, about the last six years, I've been also teaching at the Indiana Law Enforcement Academy. Um, IU Bloomington's uh, IU Police Department is, uh, has the privilege of having their own academy here. And so our office has assisted in teaching the criminal law section uh, within the uh, law enforcement academy. So we helped for five weeks in uh, developing a curriculum, uh, a teaching curriculum for the cadets here and helping assist them to get prepared for their uh, examination that they have at the end of their, their term. So that's some of what I do uh, here in the office. Well, another person that we have here, obviously, is my co-host, William Hosea, who is also a member of the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus. And William, before we get started on the rest of the program, why don't you let our audience know a little bit about what's going on there? Okay, I'm, I'm going to let the audience know that I'm the president of the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus. You know. My bad. And, uh, and, and coincidentally, Jeff and Nicole are both uh, are members, as well as yourself. But uh, last year in September, we started the uh, Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus because there was a segment of the community that was missing from the political process, uh, underrepresented, and that was African-Americans. And so um, my treasurer, Nicole Bolden, and our vice president, Donald Griffin, uh, really organized uh, the first meeting and out of that first meeting, you know, we started off with about uh, less than 20 members. We've since grown to about 30 plus members. But the main thing that we want to do is get black people in Bloomington uh, involved in the political process. And then we want to field some candidates for political office here. And uh, so far, <clears throat> with everything that we've been doing, I I'm, I'm proud to say we've been on a little bit of a roll. And so we want to keep that momentum going. We're trying to reach out to the community. Um, we had our call-out meeting back in May. It was a successful event at City Hall. We had our very first uh, fundraiser back in June uh, in conjunction with the Juneteenth celebration. And we'll probably do that annually uh, as well as others. A community engagement project that we're working on currently is we're trying to tell the story of the state of the black community here in Bloomington. And so what we are doing is uh, we're planning to conduct focus groups in early September. And from those focus groups, we'll gather all that data and whatever the data, whatever the story is told, I mean, that, that's what it is. And then the plan is to make a formal presentation of that uh, data during Black History Month, uh, February of 2018. All righty. Great. Well, we have two p potential candidates for office here. Um, they no, I guess we don't announce until January if you're going to run. Is that it? Or you, file till January? to run in January. And so you what can is announce that tonight if you want to. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what is that process like? I know it's probably different for each office, but Nicole, tell us a little bit about the, the process. Um, and what you're going to be going through, possibly. <laughs> well, what every candidate will go through, whether they file through my office, which is the Monroe County Clerk's Office, or with the state, um, 
depending on the office that they run, you fill out the candidacy papers, um, the disclosure papers, making sure you have no conflicts of interest or your spouse has no conflict of interest. Um, there's a waiting period. Uh, there's a beginning and an end, and then um, you go forward and you are allowed to raise money, but you have to report what you raise and turn in uh, financial reports. You, if you don't get them in on time, you end up appearing before the election board, so I will uh, encourage my good friend here to make sure all of his reports are in on time so that uh, he doesn't have to appear before the election board to explain. It's an awkward moment. And we, we really need to clear the air here on one matter. Neither one of you have met with the Russians, right? <laughs> I have not. I can okay. only speak for myself. I right. have okay. not. I would say the same. <laughs> um, Nicole, I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, about the county clerk's job. It's a little bit different from the city clerk's it job. It is. Because right? you work for the courts? Yes. Okay. I'm the clerk of the Monroe County Circuit Courts. But... Um, and my job is different from the lady that I refer to as the equally lovely Clerk Nicole um, because she works for city government. I work for county government. We are often, though, mistaken for one another. Um, and I'm often mistaken for her honors, being her honors daughter. Um, what I do, the primary thing that the public knows that we do is I am responsible for the elections in Monroe County which will be an awkward moment next year as my name will be mm -hmm. on the ballot. But I have a wonderful team in place, so you don't need to worry. Everything will be fine. Uh, I am also the keeper of the record for the Monroe County Courts. Um, so any filings that are done initi are initiated in my office, uh, and we take that through the process to get it up to the courts to prepare for jury duty or jury trials or bench trials or you know, whatever kind of thing is going on in front, in any appearance you have to make before the court. You also pay tickets. There's no happy reason unless you're getting married to be in the clerk's office. You pay your speeding <laughs> tickets there. You pay your child support there. Judgments that are um, against you, you make. You can make payments there. Um, but if you are getting married or if you're adopting a baby, those are the two really positive reasons that people come into my office. What kind of judgments would... Uh, if you didn't pay, you, if a roommate didn't pay their rent, so the other roommate had to bring them to court. To small claims? Mm -hmm. Small claims, civil. Uh, we did have the I-69 money coming through the clerk's office. We do hold some monies uh -huh. um, for people, and the I-69 money did come through um, as that was going, as that, as that part, the Monroe County part of that was going on. Now, you were talking earlier about when you got this position. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about the steps that you got to be to where you are now? Okay. Well, mine is a little bit different because the previous clerk, Linda Robbins, I was her chief deputy clerk. And uh, a couple, in 2016, she made a decision that based on health reasons, she would not be able to continue in her term, which goes until 2018, the end of 2018. So I was actually caucused in by the precinct chairs in the party um, to fill Linda's position. Now, for our listeners that don't know about the caucusing process, would you explain mm -hmm. that a little bit, please? Uh, there are 82 precincts. Uh, at the time, I don't think that there was someone in every precinct chair um, or vice chair, but uh, what I had to do, all of those precinct chairmen or women persons um, were invited to come to a caucus meeting 
and each of the candidates, I did have two people who ran against me for the position, we reached out to all of those precinct persons to uh, encourage them and elicit their support. And the night on the night of the caucus, depending upon how many people show up, you need one more than half of the number of precinct people in the room to vote for you. And so we each were able to give our presentation as to why we believe we should be clerk of the courts. And uh, I was fortunate enough that the precinct people in Monroe County, um, or enough of them, decided that I should be clerk, that I was voted in this. The reason I asked is uh, we're going to be going through something similar now with the city council. We have a city council uh, member that, that is uh, leaving, and so right. I believe that the same process same is going to take place. Interesting. And it's only, I think it's only precinct committee chairpersons that, that'll be voting. Unless they have right. a proxy. Right. And they right. can ask their vice to serve as their proxy. Yeah. So um, I had a question for Jeff. <clears throat> okay. You mentioned uh, that you worked on felony cases. Yes. So what's just what comes before the felony case? Would that be the misdemeanor? misdemeanor? So what's the threshold? It's legislative. So the, there's some determinations by the Indiana legislature as to what is uh, identified as a misdemeanor level offense and what would be identified as a felony. So the more common one you think of is um, operating a vehicle while intoxicated. So the first-time offense would be a misdemeanor-level offense, okay. um, absent any um, ex additional facts to a case. And then if you have a second conviction or second charge within five years of the first conviction, then that would make it a felony. Uh, for theft offenses, it's a dollar amount of the property. So you're looking mm -hmm. at $750 if you don't have a prior conviction. So it's, it's really what the legislative has, legislature has identified what would constitute a misdemeanor level offense and you know you're looking at a punishment up to uh, one year of incarceration uh, and then with felony level offenses they're talking about anywhere from six months up to murder gets you up to 65 years uh, so it's, it's really a, a determination on the state level as to what what falls in the misdemeanor and what falls into the felony um, statutes is uh I'm sorry, go ahead. When does the federal government come in? I know, you, I know you were mentioning that these are state requirements, but sometimes you hear about, well, the federal government came in and they decided to try this case. When, when does that happen? Sure. They often have a, a, the authority or they exert the authority to become involved in particular type of cases that are also federal offenses. The ones you think about uh, more commonly are uh, child pornography. Uh, those cases are the type that you could have a charge here on a local level with um, possession or distribution that the federal government also, it falls under their auspices, so they're going to charge a person. Uh, the um, Several years ago, there was some damage done to the Planned Parenthood building, and that actually fell under, uh, he was charged here in Monroe County, but the individual also was later charged in federal court uh, for uh, some violations of the federal statutory scheme. So those are the, the normal one everyone always thinks about is uh, child pornography, uh, certain drug offenses that hit whatever threshold amount or it's an area that the federal government is involved in. But you, you think of the one um, most locally or not locally within the state of Indiana would have been a situation with um, uh, the spokesman from Subway, uh, Jared. Um, he had federal charges and there was some related to some events that occurred in other states, but it was a situation to where the, the federal government was involved. 
um, in, in that type of prosecution. So does the federal government just come in and announce that we're taking over this case or push you guys to the side? Uh, Normally in, in those situations, the federal officials would be in touch with our office and talk with the prosecutor and talk about, you know, what do they have? What are they looking at for uh, prosecution? What is the uh, county prosecutor looking at or dealing with? And then there's usually some type of determination as to which one is the most appropriate uh, venue uh, to, to handle a case. And, and in the past that I've been familiar with, it's usually that conversation that's taken place between the elected prosecutor, one of the um, deputies within the office as to what is the the best course of action uh, with a case. So you don't end up being taken by surprise? No, no. Okay. Um, that's never happened, um, at least in my experience. Well, now, okay, this question is uh, more for both for the two of you. Are you the first person of color to hold this office in Monroe County? I believe that I am this office in okay. Monroe County, not in Monroe County government, as you remember from our last program um, with Her Honor. Right, right. Um, but um, I mean, the uh, I, your, your particular position. I believe office. in my particular position, I am the first person of color. So um, let me, uh, I got to try and walk this one very carefully. But as an African-American woman, was that ever an issue uh, while you were competing for that office uh, the first time around? Uh, did it present itself in any way? If it did, honestly, I am not aware of it. Yeah. I um, have been in very incredibly fortunate in Monroe County. I um, have had an incredible amount of support and encouragement mm -hmm. the entire time that I have lived here. That's not to say that there have never been incidents, but as far as running, as far as running for clerk um, and preparing for the caucus, uh, it's not the card I led with as far as being African American. Right. I, I lead with the card, and I hope that people see that I am the best candidate for the position. Um, but it's obviously not something that I run from either. And Jeff, before you answer that, I, I want to say that <clears throat> as the uh, president of the, the Black Caucus here, we receive uh, an overwhelming amount of support from all the different groups uh, in Bloomington. Uh, there, there are several other caucuses, uh, like, and I'll just name a few, Indivisible, uh, the Monroe Democratic Party. Um, gosh. It escapes me right now, but there are three or four others, and they all supported our call-out meeting, our fundraising effort. I'm in uh, constant communication with the leaders of those different uh, caucuses now, and uh, because they all recognize that diversity and inclusion, you know, really strengthens the party, the Democratic Party, and, and efforts overall. And so, even though our stated mission is to bring black people into the process and field African-American candidates. It has not uh, been an issue or problem with anyone because again, it's the end game that matters. Indeed. Well, Jeff, how about you, Dean? Uh, for this current position as a deputy prosecutor, no, I'm not the first. Um, preceding me was Valerie Houghton. Uh, she was a deputy prosecutor in the okay. office um, before I was there. If you're talking about in Ohio, then yes, uh, I was the first uh, assistant prosecuting attorney for Clinton County, Ohio, and I, during my seven plus years there, I was the only African-American, or actually person wow. of color, within the local bar 
and I don't think there had been before me or since a African-American uh, assistant prosecuting attorney in that county. Okay, same question. Was there ever an issue or an incident while you were in that office in Ohio? Yes. There, there's always those occasions where people would um, make comments about mm -hmm. um, myself as a prosecutor and the fact that I was African-American. And so there, uh, you know, unfortunately you have those occasions where people would describe you as that inward prosecutor mm. or, um, you know, sometimes be surprised that I was the prosecutor or they'd make it, there would be a comment I would hear about. Um, I was fortunate that I, it, it wasn't a common occurrence, but, you know, I've, I've experienced as a prosecutor in the last, I've been licensed for about 23 years mm -hmm. as attorney and, and unfortunately I've run into at least uh, some occasions in both states to where um, when someone's talking about me, it's they're going to utilize um, that slur as part of their descriptor and um, you know make a comment about me. But overall, um, the treatment hasn't been of that nature. But yeah. it, it has come up, and you know you're you're aware of it. Um, you know sometimes when you go into meetings with uh, some families and you can. Um, kind of pick up the vibe that they uh -huh. were surprised that the prosecutor on their case is um, African-American. And then sometimes I know I've had maybe occasion or two to where I will rattle off the resume to them in that situation to where it's like you're, if you're thinking you're getting, um, I guess, the bottom end of the officer that you're not getting a good prosecutor, you're, you're, you're greatly mistaken. And I'll go through the, I've gone through the type of cases I've handled and the work I've done uh, over the years. So it's come up, but it, it's far and few between. And, and normally with folks who work with me, uh, my experience, it's something that uh, I, I think comes out to a lot of people, how I handle myself in the courtroom, yeah. um, you know, my, my demeanor, my personality and how I handle cases, and uh, I think about The same one you're displaying here right now, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's how, how people <laughs> how people see me, and that's how I hope they see me. Uh, much like Nicole here talked about, when, when I'm uh, pursuing other opportunities, and, you know, I want people to look at Jeff Bradley's, you know, history as an attorney, my experience as an attorney, right. the things I've done right. um, in, in professional life and other avenues and the work I've done, and I, I'm I would hope that if you talk to any attorney in town who's ever worked with me, that they would be able to talk about my um, my work ethic, my demeanor, um, how I handle myself in the in a courtroom and handle different situations, and um, you know that would be something to where they would see that I they personify some of the things that you're looking for, not mm -hmm. only the prosecutor but down the road as a judge. You know, now that I think about it, I think uh, it's a couple of years ago, right after. Uh Trayvon Martin was killed. Cornelius, I think you and I interviewed uh, Judge Harden, and she brought a a two attorneys with her, and one of them was a prosecutor, Joy Camper. You remember yep, that? I do. Yeah, and she was telling us how there was so many times when she would walk into the courtroom and her uh, white colleague was sitting next to her, and they would immediately overlook her and go to her colleague when she was the lead attorney. The prosecutor and she she said there was numerous times she had to you know kind of correct people on the spot no I'm, I'm it <laughs> you know one thing that I've always wondered about and there's always a lot of different talk out there and it's a little get away from candidacy a little bit Jeff when people come into the courthouse 
especially young African-American young men, does the prosecutor's office, and how does money play into it? I guess I'm just going to ask that straight up. Those that have a good a lawyer, yeah. those that have a public defender. I know when I asked uh, uh, Judge Houghton that question, she almost jumped over that table on me <laughs> because she told me that the, that the uh, public defenders that we have here in Monroe County are some of the best, and she put her money up against them as a lot of other attorneys. But the equity in the courtroom, the money situation, how is that affecting the African-American community when it comes to justice? Well, one of the areas that, that you've seen, I don't know if you're aware, uh, Monroe County has recently won the pilot programs for where they're doing some of these pretrial release programs. And so they're having the probation staff, they've added some more um, probation officers to assist in assessing and evaluating individuals and making some determinations that they're whether they remain in jail or they're placed in a community, they're focusing on a non-monetary situation. So they're trying to assess that individual's circumstances, um, the type of case they're involved in. And so you're, you're seeing now, if, you, if you're looking at what's going on in, our, in the court system here and around the state, I think the goal is to uh, emphasize what type of release options there are. Uh, you know, the community um, alternative um, since uh, placement options are, are pretty numerous now. I think we're up to, I think, 15 different levels of release that a, a, a person is a, could be afforded. So I think the judges do a good job there. And then if a person's still incarcerated, they have their bond hearings are uh, fairly quickly, which is different than I'm, when I've talked to some other attorneys in other jurisdictions to where they don't have bond hearings within like the next week. And so if a person's incarcerated, let's say on a weekend, that there's going to be a, a bond review hearing um, later on during the week. And the hope is to if not retain people in jail um, that really don't need to be there pending the um, resolution of their case and also to um, not make money the primary um, determination whether or not if you have the funds to um, bond someone out. Now, you know, one of the aspects you'll always, um, you know, and I agree with Judge Houghton, is, you know, working in a courtroom is with the public defender's office, they're outstanding. Um, they're excellent attorneys. They, they do a really good job. Uh, and I think there's always a, a mis, uh, misconception from people that um, because they work for the, um, the, the government or for the public that they are not as strong as private attorneys. But um, I, would, I would agree with her assessment at pound for pound that they um, do excellent work and they do excellent jobs for uh, for folks that are um, assigned to their cases. So, uh, you know, your, your hope is that anytime you're dealing with cases, and, and I know from a personal perspective, that your goal is to do the right thing. And you really should, as a, as a prosecutor, if the case is appropriate to, to move forward, then, uh, you know, you move it forward. Um, if it's not, if there's a way to resolve it uh, in a different manner, then and that's what you're, you're trying to do. And I think that's something that Every prosecutor I've worked for, uh, from William Peel in Ohio to um, Carl Salzman to Chris Gall currently, that it you know it really boils down to you should be doing the right thing and trying to uh, you know seek a resolution that is not only you know appropriate for the case and the facts, but uh, for the community overall. But but you, I think we all recognize that that's been throughout the the country. There's aspects of it that people are concerned about. And that people are concerned about um, access to justice for minority groups, for opportunities for 
um, how things are perceived and how things are, are actually what's going on for people. Um, so I think one of the things that they're constantly doing, particularly here in Monroe County, is identifying different approaches or different ways to um, best um, you know, provide justice and taking care of people who are in the system. And when it's all said and done, it, the, the, the folks feel like that they're going to be treated as fairly as possible within the law and, uh, and whatever's going on is going to be addressed as fair as possible. Okay. Well, we're down to the last 60 seconds. Uh, Nicole, you want to want the last words? I don't feel strongly about having the last word. I'm just <laughs> excited to be here. Thank you so much for having us. This is it's always a good conversation. Did we uh, talk about it? Was there anything that we didn't cover that you think you might have wanted to get out there? I'll just mention briefly. You know, I'm just excited for you and the work that you are doing as president of the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus. And, and I am excited to have you two as part of our caucus, too. Thank Indeed. you. Yeah. Thank you. yeah, definitely thank you for um, inviting me this evening. I've enjoyed the opportunity to talk to, to everyone. And, you know, I guess I've, I'm looking forward to, particularly with the, the Black Democratic Caucus, what things are going to be coming forward and really within the community. Um, I, I think there's a lot that's going to be going on in the next couple of years here, particularly um, there's some things going on in 2018 and forward um, that folks should be excited about, and hopefully that the caucus and other caucuses are going to be moving some things forward for the community. Okay. Well, our thanks to Jeff Bradley and Nicole Brown for joining us this evening to discuss their intentions to throw their political hats into the ring for Monroe County Circuit Court and Monroe County Clerk, respectively. More information on their individual platforms is forthcoming. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Juanita's Restaurant, located at 620 West Kirkwood. Juanita's Restaurant is a family-owned and operated business that brings Mexican cuisine to Bloomington, Indiana. Catering service is also available. More at 812-339-2340 or online at Juanita's.com.
just heard Glory, We're a Winner by The Impressions. We're a Winner is a 1967 single recorded by The Impressions for the ABC Paramount label. Written and produced by The Impressions leader, singer Curtis Mayfield, the song is notable as one of the most prominent popular recordings dealing with the subject of black pride. The single peaked at number 14 on the Billboard pop chart and was the number one single on the Billboard R&B chart during the week of March 1st, 1968. The concept of We're a Winner came to Curtis Mayfield one night in a dream. The musician quickly woke himself and ran with his inspiration. The resulting song was an uplifting composition whose lyrics encouraged the listener that the time for self-pity is over and that one should acknowledge his or her worth even in the face of oppressed opposition. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you are invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB, or you can always visit the WFHB News website at WFHB.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. I'm William Hosea, and Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. I'm William Hosea. And go ahead. Okay, here goes. Director John Singleton thinks people are overreacting about R. Kelly's recent allegations. It was reported last week that the R&B superstar is running an abusive cult of young women in his Atlanta and Chicago properties. The news turned the internet upside down, but Singleton thinks R. Kelly did nothing wrong. While in New York City, TMZ caught John Singleton while walking and asked for his thoughts on the recent R. Kelly allegation. No, he's not misunderstood. Singleton explained when asked if he thinks R. Kelly is misjudged. He has a bunch of girlfriends. A lot of people have a bunch of girlfriends. He continues, the women that he's with are adult women and they made decisions to be with him and what they are getting into. I do not see what the controversy is. When asked, does R. Kelly deserve to be outcasted like Bill Cosby, Singleton responded to say, the 50-year-old single doesn't deserve to be shunned. Following the recent claims against R. Kelly, Jocelyn Savage, whose parents allegedly contributed to a cult report on Kelly, says she's perfectly fine with being with uh, R. Kelly and that she hasn't been brainwashed. A petition was created calling for Sony Records to drop the songwriter from their label. Don't know what to say about that one. I, I could care less. There you go. Black women lead an African-American boost in gun ownerships. Gun sales among, among African-Americans have seen a sharp increase of late and leading the charge of black women taking extra steps to battle back against domestic violence according to a news report from the Associated Press. It is important, especially for black women, to learn how to shoot, said Marcel Tig Tigner, a survivor of domestic violence who trains women on firing guns. We need to learn how to defend ourselves. Few states track gun permits by race or gender, 
but a recent study by gun rights advocate and researcher John Lott showed that black women outpaced other races and genders in securing concealed carry permits between 2000 and 2016 in Texas, one of the few states that keeps detailed demographic information, reports the AP. A study by Pew Research Center released this month showed that just 16% of non-white women identified themselves as gun owners, compared to with about 25% of white women. Other Pew surveys in recent years have shown a growing acceptance of firearms among African Americans. In 2012, one found that less than a third of black households viewed gun ownership as positive. Three years later, that number has jumped. By then, 59% of black families saw owning guns as a necessity. In recent months, he said, politics also have emerged as a reason why he finds more blacks interested in becoming gun owners. Regardless of what side you're on, in the fabric of society right now, there's an undertone, a tension that you see that groups you saw on the firings on the fringes 20 years ago are now in the open, said Philip Smith, founder of the National African American Gun Association. It seems to me it's very cool to be a racist right now. It's in fashion, it's a trend. HBO series reimagining Confederacy winning Civil War should tread lightly. <clears throat> Demetria Irwin of the Griot has this to say about HBO's plan to reimagine the outcome of the Civil War. Imagine a world where the South won the Civil War and slavery is now incorporated into modern society. Slavery in a modern context is a scary thought and HBO recently decided to greenlight a series called Confederate with just that premise. One could argue that sex trafficking, the prison industrial complex, and the school to prison pipeline are all strong examples of how slavery still does in fact exist today in the US, but that's for another story. As a fan of speculative fiction, I am intrigued by how such a narrative could play out in the right hands. That last part is key. It's a complex tale to share at any point in time, and especially right now in light of the fact that the Trump administration's political initiatives seem plucked straight out of George Orwell's 1984. Anyone daring to dive into an alternate history of this magnitude would have to do so with nuance, wit, dexterity, extraordinary creative intelligence, and a deep genuine appreciation and understanding of the multifaceted black experience in this country. All that said, the people spearheading Confederate are two white men, David Banoff and D.B. Weiss, who are currently showrunners for Game of Thrones, a show with a cult-like following and a blindingly white cast. When news of the slavery-themed series reached the masses, Twitter users were quick to trample on the premise. Some assumed the show would be little more than slavery fan fiction with two white men at the helm while others thought the idea was just horrible regardless of who writes it well now, now that one demands a comment from from you cornelius i, I see no positive uh, way the story can be told if they want an alternate you know it's alternate news i guess alternate outcomes i see nothing positive the show can can produce Personally, I, I have a really difficult time watching any, any except for documentaries, you know. But I have a hard time watching any kind of movie that uh, romanticizes yeah, the that, that that portrays tries to portray slavery. And 
I don't know. Yep, indeed. Like, I, I can only watch Roots. One, I watched that movie one time. That was it. I agree. On Cloud Nine, O.J. Simpson awaits parole in protective custody in Nevada. The Juice will not be leaving prison until this fall after being granted parole Thursday, but his lawyer said he's on cloud nine over the prospect of being granted his freedom. Mr. Simpson is on cloud nine, Malcolm Laverne, his lawyer said on Fox's Justice with Judge Gene's show Saturday night. He obviously likes the outcome. Everything is hung from the moon at this point. Simpson, who turned 70 this month, is in protective custody after a four-person parole board's unanimous decision that he could be freed after serving the minimum nine years of a 33-year sentence for armed robbery and kidnapping, stemming from an incident in which he and others sought to retrieve memorabilia and other personal possessions. Since his 2008 conviction, he has been incarcerated in Nevada's Lovelock Correctional Center, where he has now been removed from the general population. The only thing that's kind of a little bit disheartening for him is that he's had a change of custody status and they're going to and they are going to kind of change that for the next couple of months until he's released, Laverne said. He's had to move his cell to an area where he's a bit more protected. There's good reason for that. One of them is that for his own safety and basically not to rile things up, there's a legitimate concern about threats. But the Nevada Department of Corrections is determined to keep him safe for two more months, spokesman Brooke Keast told ABC News, and Simpson is now in a quieter wing. The inmates and said inside they're all felons there are those that are in there for life that really have nothing to lose Keith said now to make a name of themselves they may be thinking of doing something acting out against inmate Simpson we just can't have that uh, I don't care about that one either <laughs> uh, that was a look at the african-american headline news from around the world for this week tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the african-american community we want to know what you think of current black issues. Send your comments to Bring It On at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. I'm William Hosea, and you're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org. choice of colors Which one would you choose my brothers If there was no day or night Which would you prefer to be right How long have you hated your white teacher Who told you you love your black do you respect your brother's woman friend And share with black folks not of kin People must prove to the people A better day is coming For you and for me With just a little bit more education Love for our nation Would make a better society Now some of us 
would rather cuss and make a fuss than to bring about a little trust. But we shall overcome, I believe, someday if you'll only listen to what I have to say. And how long have you held your white teacher? Can you respect your brother's woman friend And share with black folks not of kin I say now people must prove to the people A better day is coming For you and for me With just a little bit more education And love for our nation Would make a better society And if you had a choice of colors Which one would you choose, my brothers? If there was no day or night Which would you prefer to be right? And if you had a choice of colors Which one would you choose, my brothers? If there was no day or night, which would you prefer to be right? If you had a choice of colors. You just heard Choice of Colors, another classic by The Impressions. One of my favorite songs. It's now time to bring you the events of interest in the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. I'm William Hosea. And starting off, the Monroe County branch of the NAACP meets on the first Tuesday of each month at 6.30 p.m. The next meeting is Tuesday, August the 1st. Meetings are held at Second Baptist Church on 321 North Rogers Street right here in Bloomington. For more information, contact branch secretary Suzanne Falk by email. And we don't have an email. And the Bloomington Boogies Blues and the Boogie Woogie Piano Festival. The third annual Bloomington Boogies Blues and Boogie Woogie Piano Festival begins with public performances starting Sunday, August 13, 2017. Additional educational elements for students at several public schools will be held on Monday, August 14th. Both of these days offer residents and visitors multiple opportunities to listen and dance to acclaimed blues and boogie-woogie pianists. True, our tree blues and boogie-woogie piano workshops are presented by Josh Paxton from New Orleans and Bill Sims Jr. from New York and are open to all students, but there is a 20-student limit and all students must register in advance. For more information on performances, ticket costs, and how to volunteer, email. We are short on emails today, but we will get that information to you. What's up with that? You want to do this one from the Commission on the Status of Black Males? Indeed. Uh, the Commission on the Status of Black Males has partnered with IU Health to distribute information about dispensing 200 FIT, and that is fecal, fecal immune chemical test throughout the South Central region. The FIT screenings will be free. The FIT test does not require bowel prep, anesthesia, or transportation to and from screening examination. The test is performed at home patients return the kit via U.S. mail. 
You can visit the IU Health at the Alcott Center, 619 West 1st Street, or call or email the CSBM. Um, again, we don't have that email address, or you can visit the City of Bloomington Community and Family Resources Department, and that's located at 401 North Morton Street, Suite 260, for more information. The printer must have uh, malfunctioned. July 29th, help out with the Back to School Jam. A three-on-three basketball tournament at the Crestmont Community from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. on July the 29th. This is a free tournament with food, drinks, music, raffle prizes, and trophies awarded to the winners. The tournament will start at 12 noon with championship games at 5 p.m. Age groups are 9 to 12, 13 to 16, and 17 and up. Eight volunteers are needed to be court monitors, not referees. A music DJ is also needed, supported by the Bloomington Housing Authority Resident Council. Minimum age is 17. Please contact Philip Williams or 317-828-9769. And lastly, the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus will host a meet and greet to allow candidates competing for the recently vacated city council seat, as well as precinct chairs and the public to interact and discuss what they would like to see from Bloomington City Council. Admission is free. That's tomorrow from 6 to 8 p.m., the address is 116 South Madison Street, right here in Bloomington. Again, 116 South Madison Street in Bloomington. You can also visit uh, the Facebook page, uh, Monroe County Black Democrats, the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus. And one more thing that we don't have here on our calendar is that tomorrow there's a school board meeting at the school uh, in Bloomington and they will be voting on policy 8500, the revision of that policy. So we need as many people from the community to come out, support that policy. That's the school shaming policy. So please, ma'am, please, sir, come to the school board meeting tomorrow evening. That ought to be interesting. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send that info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our thanks to Jeff Bradley and Nicole Brown for joining us this evening to discuss their intentions to throw their political hats into the ring for Monroe County Circuit Court and Monroe County Clerk, respectively. More information on their individual platforms is forthcoming. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our news editor is Michael Nolan. Our board engineer is Jim Thrasher. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Cornelius Wright, and I'd like to give a special welcome to our new uh, news director, Wes Martin. And tune in next Monday, July 31st at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. 
Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.